Well, I'm talking to you the way I want to talk to you. Do you have a problem? Turn off your station. Cool, cool, cool. We're officially recording. Um, hey, I don't think I've asked you how you are today. I think it's just been a lot of uh, adjusting and, uh, yeah. I'm, um, yeah, I'm good. Good. How are you going? Uh, I'm hot as fuck, uh, so I'm actually pretty startled that you have a vest on because I, I was trying to figure out, like, the most clothes that I can wear without heating up too hard. And right now there's a fan, like, a foot away from me, so I'm making sure that I'm cool. You're basically considered a beater that made classy with suspenders. Um, yeah. <laughs> I also tried a button-down shirt. Um, that was way too hot. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I currently feel like I'm living in my own pillow fort at the moment. Um, I'm just going to turn down my, my echo because we don't need to be in a tunnel. No worries. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm in my own sort of um, pillow fort uh, because I've got sheets up along all of the windows at the moment. So, you know, it's kind of like my own grown-up version of a, oh. yeah, of like a, a sheet castle. You know, you did that as a kid in the lounge room and now I'm an adult and I still get stood in my lounge room, so. Does that make it cooler? Yeah, well, it's just like curtains, but oh, you know, okay. for people who don't own curtains. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm actually glad that you finally got on the podcast because I feel like this is a, a question that, that we've kind of like touched upon in the past. Um, I've just always been curious as to how like you started your career as a, as a singer, what made you want to be a singer, um, how you started playing the guitar, um, for anyone listening to this for the past, I think it's been five weeks now cause, uh, you've been labeling the lessons. And so that's been keeping uh, pretty, pretty good track of like where we are. And I think it's week five. Uh, but for the past five weeks, we've been exchanging acting lessons for guitar lessons. Um, cause I've been so anxious to play the guitar for years. I'm, I'm telling you the guitar that I have right now, I've had it since, since I've lived in Connecticut. I got it as a Christmas gift and <laughs> I never touched it. Um, the person who gave it to me um, is an ex um, and I just kind of kept it around because it was like, it was a guitar and I was like, I, I don't want to just throw a guitar away. You know, maybe I'll get to it eventually. And it's been about six years since I actually feel like I can play something on it and sound competent and it's not just collecting dust. And so I'm curious as to how you started because you're an amazing teacher, you're an amazing songwriter and um, actually I'll, I'll let you just introduce yourself and then we can take it from there. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I am A.C. Thomas. Um, I have, I'm, I'm from Australia. Uh, the accent, if, if you can't already tell, then just gave you that duh moment. That's not Michigan? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, it's close, close, but um, yeah. no, not quite. Uh, a few thousand more miles from there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I've been playing since I was a wee tacker. Um, I, so I played piano. Um, my mum my put me in lessons. We had this um, beat-up old piano that my sister and I used to play hide-and-seek inside of uh, when we were children. And I was about four, and uh, we were doing piano lessons. My sister would go first, and then I would go. And we had this teacher who was... So scary, the kind of like wrap you across the knuckles with a pencil teacher if you're not playing properly. And so I was like this little four-year-old kid just being like, I want to go and play rollerblades. So, of course, my sister finishes um, her lesson and she goes outside and starts playing rollerblades. And I said to mum, 
no, I want to go play rollerblades. Like, that's, that's what I want to do. Um, and she said, do you want to play piano or do you want to play rollerblades? And, of course, four-year-old me, I'm like, rollerblades? Yeah. So mum said at that point, well, in that case, you're going to have to learn guitar. So um, I had yep. a little guitar that I would take into my bedroom and just, like, give it hell. And I would learn like one chord. Somebody would come in and show me a chord and yeah. play that chord until I couldn't play it anymore. And um, and then yeah, it just kind of went from there. I just picked up things along the way. My um, my dad has spent my dad spent the majority of my childhood away finding himself. Mm. And um, in that process, he found a lot of really great hippie festivals and um, like things like Rainbow Gathering and um, you know. Uh, those kinds of festivals that you take your very young children to that would be great in the car if you had said, by the way, everyone will be naked. <laughs> so we, we spent a lot of time at festivals like that as children. And so, you know, around a fireplace, there's always somebody with a guitar and yeah. me in a pair of boxer shorts and some brand new sneakers with, you know, mud all through my hair and like covered in dust going, hey, can you show me how to play the D chord? You know, so there's always like it, it was actually the perfect environment for a curious little child to just flourish. Yeah, um, yeah like I, I spent a lot of time busking as a child. Like dad would um, come for a visit from, from finding himself. Um, he, would, um, he would remember he had children and come and um, – and, and grab us and we would go in his camper van for several weeks and we'd drive up the coast and um, I would busk the whole way along, pretty much paid our petrol. Wow. So, were you yeah, busking so, out of necessity or just because like you wanted to play more and busking was just kind of like a byproduct of it? I just wanted to, you know, I was bored and, you know, mm. that was, it was just something that was fun to do and, um, and I could. And I would make a killing if you ever want to go busking and make some money, take a child. They yeah. are just like, they, it is the rake in. Mm. Um, so I was making $50, $60 in 45 minutes. Oh, man. You know, I'd go, all right, Dad, I'm going to go down around the corner and go busking. And he'd go, okay, mate, I'll come and find you later. <laughs> um, and so I'd go and take a guitar and a djembe and a harmonica and I would sit there for 45 minutes in the middle of the town square and just play time so wow yeah like it's sort of I think having a lot of influence as a child with musicians around me uh, I do come from a musical family mm -hmm. um you know there's always a guitar at a musical event like it's we're the sort of family where like even though awake is a very sad affair we, we all have that little bit of excitement knowing that everyone's going to have the guitar out yeah you know, we'll just sing all night and it's like it's really something that we get to look forward to. And so it's funny how that works, like the, the whole nurture aspect of what a child ultimately becomes. Um, this is this is partly a joke, but also partly true. Um, my family always had a flair for the dramatic, like everything to them was super high, strong. Everything was over the top. Everything was very theatrical and I turned out to be a fucking theater actor. And it's because my entire life, everything was just heightened. It could be whatever. It could be like my grandmother sending my mom out for groceries. My mom would turn into this whole 
monologue about why she's always asking her to do stuff when she has three daughters. It's, 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 it's pretty funny how that works. Yeah. So why the, why the guitar? Like, so your mom gave you the alternate, um, or, or the alternative of playing the guitar rather than the piano. So then you can earn your roller blading experience or, or your fun. Why, why the guitar? Did she play the guitar? You know, she, she always said that she was never musical, but, um, then much later in life, she, um, ended up expressing to me that when she was a young teenager, she would go and angst play Mozart. And I was like, you're totally a musician, mum. Um, yeah, so mum's definitely a pianist um, and plays beautifully. But, yeah, I mean, there was a guitar in the house and um, that's just what I ended up doing. Like, she sort of, she knew that I was going to be some sort of show off mm. um, and she wasn't sure which kind. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I, I took a liking to guitar and it was something that I could um, really be self-driven on. So um, I was able to, you know, eventually once I started playing and singing and then I started writing, I was probably about nine when I started writing songs. Wow. And mum was mum was really, really supportive. You know, I think the first song that I wrote was, um, it was called What Do Kids Want? <laughs> and it was, you know, what do kids want? really cute really cute you know we don't want to go to school we don't want to brush our teeth like and mum loved it mum was like yeah yes go on let's play what kids want yeah (laughs) you know so she was like my biggest fan and then Mm. by the time you know she by the time I was probably 10 years old and she ended up putting me in lessons and she would come to the recitals and you know where everyone's playing three blind mice and she'd sit through every child doing their guitar recital, you know, mm-hmm. grade two or something like that. And, um, and I'd get up and sing and play hallelujah at the end. And just steal the show. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I don't want to toot my own horn, but no. Um, yeah, look, I just really thrive to learn more yeah. as a kid. And I mean, I couldn't have been any less interested in school Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't care too much for it at all. But by the time I was, um, I was 11 and I met um, a, a manager at school. She was, she was the piano teacher at my school. And, um, and she said, do you want to, do you want a manager? Do you want to play, play gigs and make a CD and all of the stuff? And, and I was like, well, sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So I started performing full time at 11. <laughs> what the um, fuck? And that was well. It was. It was actually, you know, Mum. I think was like fully down with the child star mm. thing. We were always pushing and you know looking for contracts and and things like that. And and I got a lot of attention. But you know, playing four nights a week as an eleven year old kid, you know, like you're always around. Um, you know, you're you're exposed to things that you generally wouldn't be exposed to as a person of that age, uh, I yeah. looked, I looked older. So I was, I was treated like I was older. Um, and I was exhausted. I was absolutely exhausted by the time I was 13, you know, and like falling behind at school and like the, the high school I went, I started going to wanted to hold me back. And of course, mum's come in with the folder, yeah. the, you know, the display folder and it's gone, now this is what Essie's been up to this year. Yeah. And she goes through the the clippings, the paper clippings and the, you know, festivals that I've played at and all of the things. And 
that was the point at school realized that I wasn't an idiot. I was just tired. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I played full time from 11 to 13 and took a big old break just to be a teenager for a while. How long was the break? Um, so of course once I started being a teenager it became very apparent that I was uh, quite bored Mm. and boredom turned into naughty and um, naughty equals rebellion and uh, education system and so I got kicked out of school Mm. four times and so I ended up uh, applying to a tech school. It was about an hour away from our home. So there was this tech school that it was a, a music school. And um, I applied. They weren't actually taking people of my age group. At that point, you had to be a bit older to get into this particular tech school. But they'd seen me play around the district and said, absolutely. So that's when I started studying music. Um, I was probably pretty close to 14, still 13. I probably took maybe five, six months off Mm. playing and then um, got accepted into school and went and studied music industry studies and composition. So you you get accepted into this tech school, but you already have about two, three years of like professional experience under your belt. Did you you find that you were ahead of all your other classmates and everyone in school because you had so much experience for someone at that age before you even got to the school. I was arrogant as you like, like mm. you know, arrogance doesn't equal good grades. Um, and, and I, also I'd, I'd come out of this sort of broken school environment where like I was gigging full time. I was really disinterested. I really had no time of day for the teachers unless they were willing to treat you like a human. And of course, when people are in the seventh grade, nobody gets treated like a human because they're kids and they're shitheads. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'd come from this school environment where I just had never really learned how to study in an adult or even in a, you know, in a, a disciplined way. So yep. I kind of like faffed my way through the first few years. Um, but, you know, I managed to like go back each time and, and do a little bit better. Um, but I just had no interest in, you know, music theory or anything like that. I just wanted to turn on all the gear and play. Mm. Um, but uh, I was so, so lucky that one of the, the tutors um, took me under her wing and she she's a, an incredible jazz musician and um, very, very well known in the area and plays festivals and teachers and choir and all of the things. And so she took me on as her roadie. And because, mm. of course, like mum was living an hour away from me. Like yeah. so I, you know, moved out of home into like my own, single living situation didn't know oh, wow. how to um do my own laundry until I was doing it for myself yeah <laughs> until you fucked house. up a few times yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> kind of lived on toast and two minute noodles for a few great. years there. yeah I didn't know how to cook I was just like I was a hot mess but you know I yeah I was being a roadie for this um for this teacher and it was great you know like I sort of I just 
kicked around. I sort of just toddled around after her, carrying her guitars or whatever she needed. And um, I think I think that was the best way for me to see the music industry. And I think that that is what actually gave me the experience because, you know, in that space of, of time between 11 and 13, like my manager would just take me to the gig, I would play and then I would leave. You know, I never um, really had that experience of like going, setting up the gear or even booking the gig. Like I never booked the gigs. Yeah. Like, so that's the kind of stuff that I really learned in, in that tech school. And, and those are sort of the skills that I, I sort of took on there experience wise and, and like technicality. Um, mm. I've always just made it up. I play by ear. Mm. I'm like, I, a lot of people will ask what key my song would be in. And, you know, I'd be trying to train a guitarist and they'd say, what key is it in? And I go, Oh, bassist, what key is it in? And he'll tell me, you know, so it's yeah. sort of, yeah. Like I kind of wing it a lot. Yeah. Um, has that ever been a detriment to your advancement as a professional musician? Mm. How so? I, um, there is a couple of universities that I would love to have gone to, mm. um, mm-hmm. which I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's never too late. Um, yeah, but there is a particular course that I wanted to take at one point that, you know, it was at the VCA in Australia, Victorian College for the Arts, um, and they offer some incredible courses. And I just didn't cut the mustard technically. Mm-hmm. Can't sight read. Um, yeah, that it. that's what... Yeah. I mean, I got offers from a bunch of other schools at the same time. Um, was very grateful for that, so I did end up doing... Um, an associate's degree at a different school, but um, it definitely wasn't um, it wasn't the course that I wanted to do. Mm. That's for sure. I feel like we've had somewhat similar paths in in our running with education. I I didn't start as early as you did. I I didn't start acting until I was in high school because there just really wasn't. Um, I grew up in a really poor neighborhood, so there there wasn't any form of theater um, or anything. Like my closest encounter with uh, being in like the drama club in middle school was um, signing up for the drama program, and then the very next day we found out that the funding was cut. So it was just like, oh great, well there goes my chance for that. And then um, in high school we had like a really makeshift theater program. And I mean, when I say makeshift, I mean that we took scenes from movies. And if you know anything about theater, like that's like, I don't know, it's, it's like, it's like frowned upon if you ever do that, because it's, it's a completely different medium. And so that's what we did. And then I I went to college for it just off a whim. Like I I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, except for act. I was like, I I think I kind of know how to act. I didn't know anything about theater, anything about anything. And then I got there and I had, um, I had really quick success in the program. I, um, I, I was just, I was just naturally talented. Um, uh, and, and it got to my head really quick and I started not attending classes and I was fucking around in school. I was worried about like chasing women, getting drunk and partying and it caught up with me really fast. And I, I realized I was behind on credits. Um, and fortunately enough, when I, when I first got there, there was a teacher, um, Sheila Saragusa who, t- who took me under her wing pretty fast and, um, and guided me. And then ultimately I got in trouble at school, um, for getting into a, a really heated argument with a, with a, uh, one of the professors, she was brand new that year. And 
apparently she claimed it was verbal assault, which was complete bullshit. But ultimately, like this person, she was just like, listen, you don't need this anymore. This is obviously not for you. You don't succeed in a in a educational system. Why don't you just go professional? And that's when I came out all the way to California and just started in San Francisco and just started like really just grinding my way through. Um, but I, I didn't flourish in an educational system at first. Um, but since then I've realized that fuck, like, you know, I was just naturally natural too. Like I learned by doing it as opposed to like theory of acting and everything. Um, but it's so funny though, because I dropped out, I'm not eligible for master's programs. Um, and I actually just auditioned for a master's program and I got in, but they couldn't, accept me in because I didn't have my bachelor's degree and it was a it was a really frustrating uh situation for me so I feel like that's also been a detriment to my career but I think there's something that I really enjoy about your path uh and my path and just paths of or the paths of people who don't go through the traditional trajectory of going through an education system and that's that you learn by doing and I think that's so invaluable um there's there's that there's that situation in which a professional goes into a um or which uh, an aspiring professional goes into a, a career path and they're asking how much experience does that person have? And they're like, well, I have this education. And then they're saying, no, 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 but how much experience do you have? And a lot of people who come out of school, whether it's for music or whether it's for acting, whether it's whatever, they, they spend so much time in theory, in the classroom, in this really sheltered environment. And then when they get out into the real world, it, it shakes them in a way that they haven't been shooken before because everything has been under the guidance of a of an institution in which they're paying tuition for, in which the teacher's interest, in which the teacher's focus is to is to guide them. But the professional world is not like that. So I think that there's there's pros and cons to both. But I I really appreciate your path to it because it was like yeah you know I took classes, but that's not how I flourished, and and I feel very very similar in that situation. Um, and there's just something beautiful about someone who flourishes by doing it, you know? Absolutely, yeah. The, um, the bonus of the, the creative arts industry is that, yeah, experience really does come from being out there and doing it. You know, the, the professional industry doesn't actually follow a syllabus. No. So, you know, we, we do have that ability of, of getting that hands-on experience. You know, it's, um, it's really something that you can fake until you make yeah 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 some of my favorite practitioners um one in particular Stella Adler and um we'll, we'll, what we've been doing when the, in the acting class like a lot of the actioning it's based off of her teachings um, because that's how I was taught um and um in her book uh the art of acting she says that the whole concept of school and education for at least performing um, per, performing arts in terms of theater is is brand new. This is brand new, and she's had to adjust to it too. And she was like, "I learned by doing from a young age." Like, um, she was fortunate enough to come from a, a family of like performers, and so she went to so so her father was in a theater company, and, but she started young. But she started like doing background roles in theater plays, and then gradually making her way up. And she was like, "I learned. I, I stayed." Um, on whatever level I was on until I was able to prove that I was able to like take on more of a role, take on more lines. And like, you don't just jump out of the gate playing Hamlet. You have to work years for that. And I felt that experience in, in my personal life too, where I've started off doing really small shows. And, and I, I'm, I'm wondering if you've felt the same way because you started off pretty fast, like um, young, but like, did you like have humble, humble beginnings or did you kind of just skyrocket? No, absolutely. Look, you know, the, 
I suppose I, I kind of went the long way around. Um, mm. There was a lot of pressure as a child and, you know, as a young performer to, you know, do better, do better, do better. What are you doing about your music? Like the amount of people that have come up and said to myself or my mother, like, I know somebody, mm. um, you know, and what is she doing and how is she going to get better and how is she going to, you know, really get out there and how is she going to get famous? Yeah. Um, and so I think what I ended up doing was like with being – you know, this, this tutor's, um, Lynn is her name, name, um, with being Lynn's, you know, lackey, um, I got into the festival industry. And so I started emceeing and stage managing, you know, 13, 14 years old, um, and really started to move into the, the festival industry that way. And, um, I think that kind of work has been very humbling, um, a few festivals that I have worked for, one in particular, Splendour in the Grass in Australia. It's one of Australia's biggest festivals. Mm. Um, it's um, it's kind of, it's sort of like Australia's Coachella. Yeah. And um, so I worked for those guys from 16 years old. I started off as their stagehand. I was sweeping wow. and um, worked with an incredible producer who mentored me through that experience. You know, he was really such a beautiful teacher in the sense that he would stop and give you the time of day to like teach you how to rip sticky tape and things like that. Um, and so I think, you know, one of the, like in terms of that contrast between, you know, that like on stage versus that humble moment, I think the most profound experience for me in that was playing uh, Splendor in the Grass with a six piece band uh, we played the Sunday night. It was like, it was it was a huge show. It was a really really big stage. We probably had a few thousand kids in front of us, wow. crowd surfing and on each other's shoulders. And I'm I'm going, I'm a folk act. This is really strange. But you know, like we really got in there and we get, gave it as much drive as we possibly could. Now, 20 minutes before I got on stage, I was over at another venue mopping their stage because I was their venue manager. So, you know, I fully mopped this this whole floor of this stage in five minutes flat, ran over and got on stage and played this gig and then got off stage again, you know, sold a bunch of CDs, signed all these these CDs and signing people's chests and like all the all the crazy stuff that's, you know, you're like, oh, I'm a rock star. Yeah. You know, and then I go <laughs> Oh shit! What's the? T- I've got to go and sweep the other stage. I'll see you guys later. Thanks very much. Good job, band. You know, and so it was sort of like it was sort of that that complete contrast. And then even later on, and having people come up to me while I'm mopping or sweeping another stage, managing this venue, and people are coming up being like, "I saw you set before. That was really great." You know, and I'm yeah. going, "Oh, thanks so much, but I just don't have the time for this compliment right now. I'm really busy." <laughs> so, yeah. 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 So you know, I think wearing another hat in the industry has really given me those, you know, those, those not so grand moments of, you know, knowing that I've done some hard yards mm. to be where I am, but then um, just being on the wrong side of the stage. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of artists miss that. I, I see that a lot in, in my industry and it's 
you know, the people who don't do the background work where, you know, you're treated like shit for 12 hours and you're given like 150 bucks for your time. Um, and sometimes, you know, you're, you're waiting for like 12 hours and then you get to go on for 20 minutes. Um, and it's like just you walking in the background or the people who've never done understudy work, which is when you're um, learning an entire role just in case the main actor goes out. Um, you know, those are looked at as, you know, less than gigs. And I've seen a lot of people who come out of these really big universities and never have that experience and then just jump right to it. But they don't have the appreciation for that. They don't have the appreciation of the, you know, the sweeping or, or whatever the actor's version of is of sweeping, of, of teaching. You know, I, I just got hired for this company that I've been trying to audition for since I fucking got out here. It took me five fucking years and I finally got in their cast. COVID-19 wiped that out. But um, yeah, it's just like it, it, I appreciated it so much more. And uh, I can just appreciate how you have really like you, you, I mean, you've literally been on the ground floor of like some of these festivals, and not only that, but you're you're running back and forth, <laughs> like you're fucking, you're you're doing that, and then you're doing what you love, and and then you're doing it again, and it's like you're really exhausting yourself. And I'm sure you had a fucking blast while you were doing it. It's like, what else would I be fucking doing right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've had some pretty crazy, uh, crazy experiences, like yeah, hitchhiking to festivals and sleeping under stages with a guitar and wrapped up in a top and yeah, like there's, you know, it's been pretty wild. Like, What's the craziest experience you've ever had or, or one of the craziest? I don't know. If yeah, look, I, I think sleeping under the stage that one year was pretty crazy. I had hitchhiked to the festival with my guitar and a sheepskin. And that's like kind of all I could really carry. And I'd hitchhiked, it was maybe like a four or five hour journey and um, got there borrowed a tarp from somebody because it was raining, it was raining and pouring that year um, and said, right, where can I, where can I pitch this? And so they said, yep, under the stage, that's going to be fine. Now we had this stage, we ran um, sort of, we, we were like a, a um, healing village sort of mm-hmm. and the more alternative program. So we did, um, you know, like the morning yoga workshops and, all of that sort of stuff. And our first port of call in the morning was the Goyoto monks would chant for 15 minutes of the morning. And so I would wake up each morning to, you know, the Goyoto monks sitting like right above my head on this stage and um, chanting away and then going to sleep at nighttime, you know, after a 15 to 18 hour shift, going to sleep to some rocking band. And I would be like, right underneath the conga drums or like, you know, like, or they would have put the drum kit right on top of me and, you know, and that this band is just absolutely rocking and I'm just laying there on my sheepskin wrapped in my tarp. <laughs> Were you able to fall asleep? Well, I, I must have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that looked, that was pretty wild. Um yeah, and then like, and again, you know, playing sets over that festival as well, and um, yeah, sort of. It's kind of I, I think doing that work has definitely made me a much a better performer, a more well-rounded performer. Yeah, um, especially in terms of time management and things like that. You know, there's a lot of artists that will step onto a stage and really act like they're top shit and they have mm. no respect for what the ground staff are doing and just no appreciation for the amount of effort that's gone into creating this space for them to come and do their their thing on. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's, I think every performer, actor, musician, anybody who's working in the performing arts industry really should step into a stagehand's shoes mm-hmm. for a day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's actually that's actually a class that was offered um, when I was in college. It, it was a stagehand work, and like you did a, everything backstage, um, what we call techies, and um, you just learn how to like build sets. You learn how to do everything. I actually stopped going to that class because I was a fuck off in college, so I just stopped showing up. Um, but um, since being on set and since being in like you know theater productions, I've I've come to be in awe of the people who put everything up backstage you know every everyone who's not seen on stage everyone who doesn't have that spotlight on them and it, it just kind of came serendipitously because you know you see these things and and sometimes you would get the exposure of like watching it as it would uh, you know happen um or like one day you know the set's not there then the next day you come in the set is fully there and sometimes i get to watch the people work behind the set and they really put hours and hours and hours in and they never get the they never get the shine they never get the appreciation because you know it's all about you know the people on stage um but especially like on camera too like when when everyone is moving sets and lights around you like i've I've just been in awe and i've tried to make it a practice uh, especially on camera because like you're actually working in conjunction with them as opposed to in theater where they just kind of put it up and then you go but you don't really interact too much um unless you're in tech week anyone listening probably knows what tech week is um that's when you just put all the lights and stuff together with the actors. But um, I, I've just tried to make it a practice that, you know, at the end of every shoot, just shake everybody's hand and just say thank you. And just, yeah, like, I, I appreciate you because, like, you are really setting the stage for me to be able to do what I do. And without you, I'm not able to do what I do because then it's not going to look good on camera. I'm not going to be lit properly. I don't have the sets, uh, the set pieces I need. I don't have the props I need. I don't have the makeup that I need. Um yeah, everyone that just works behind camera or off stage, behind stage, they they work so fucking hard. Yeah, you know it's 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 a specialized industry, and some of the professionals in this industry. I mean, like I'm, you know, getting a, a small snippet of obviously, you know, COVID's made us move everything online. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding tech. understanding like how all of these things work you know I've got like so many cables and wires and and a a big ass light you know and all of these monitors like all around me right now and like you know the end result is me just sitting here leisurely on this chair (laughs) you know but this is stuff that like I've had to like now like go into my little black book and be like Mm. okay who do I know that it's like an audio technician you know like like we're we're really having to um acknowledge that these guys have got their shit together like they've really spent the time and the years and and the they have the experience to make this stuff go so yeah I think like especially in this time and like needing to ask advice from friends and things like that has been like really big for me yeah and I'm sure it's going to make you a better performer going forward because now you understand how everything works and I think and vice versa, like for the people behind the camera or off stage, if they understand the actor, which I'm sure that they have to, to or, or the performer, which I'm sure that they have to in order to do their job properly, because it's all about how you're going to look and, and what you're being supported on, you know, audibly, visually, um, whether it's the physical stage, they have to know your job in order to do their job. And I think that a lot of performers have lost um, the respect of learning the other person's job in order to do their job better. Uh, yeah. Um, there's definitely 
you know, it's like hen's teeth, a fully rounded performer, mm. technician, you know, like people who can play and light a stage, yeah. you know, like hats off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, people who can act and do makeup and, you know, build a set. And it, it, it really, I think, is, um, yeah, I definitely should have taken a bit more uh, notice in the, you know, the sound theory classes, definitely should have, uh, yeah, should have yeah. kept up with uh, the internet and all of its changes along the years. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's the great yeah, thing about the internet is that you can kind of just look it up now and kind of teach yourself look it up and it's amazing you know what google can sort of give us but um yeah i think uh for such a long time i used the excuse of you know i'm a millennial i'm i'm a tech native i am a technology native i'm fine yeah. i know how to use computers i just push buttons until it does what i want or turns <laughs> off um but yeah really kicking myself now mm. in that sense because i haven't kept up with you know, what's the best audio interface to use and what is the, you know, mm-hmm. best microphone for podcast use and studio recording and yeah. then on live live stage. Like, you know, like I've got a basic knowledge of all of this this stuff, but it's nowhere near what it used to be. Yeah. Well, at least you've had um, that epiphany now because some people never come to that realization and they just end up just living their entire lives as a performer, as someone who doesn't know anything beyond just what they do and it shows in their work and it shows in their ability to work with others too yeah, yeah thank you thank you for <laughs> for sponsored by COVID-19 it really is <laughs> I've been able to do so much um what 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 do you love most about performing um the loudness um, um is like so many different aspects of the things that I love and it really does depend on like the site and setting mm. and you know the intimacy of the show like you know I, in Australia I played five six nights a week mm. um and some nights it would be you know I, I had a, a a weekly residency at this um little cafe in a place called Byron Bay mm-hmm. so I'd play there once a week you know, some nights it would be like windy and you're kind of, you're sort of outside on the footpath. You can take tips, but it's a paid position. Um, and so you're kind of playing to the people who are eating their food. And so sometimes that end up being a really hard gig to play. Mm. But the point is that even, you know, with that less glamorous and that not so glorious show, one person might look up from their dinner and be absolutely mesmerized. And, you know, as a, as a performer who, um, I feel like we have such a connection with our audience. Mm. Um, you know, and so, like, it could be that, you know, really crappy gig that you play where one person is emotionally moved mm. by a song or a moment or, or any given part of the performance. And then that becomes something that you really love mm-hmm. about that very, like not very glamorous at all position that you're standing in on the side of the street, hoping that somebody's going to throw you $2. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, but then you've got those, you know, huge stages that you play on where, like, you can hear yourself so well mixed and so loudly that it just, like, you can feel yourself in your soul. Mm. Like, you know, there's nothing like being on such a big stage and just feeling the whole stage vibrating with the sounds of this tiny creation that you made in your bedroom. Mm. Um, you know, and then... Two thousand kids, like jumping and screaming and like dancing and like yeah, I think there's so many different facets of of performing, and I think like I really have put myself in so many different kinds of situations where like it's hard not to have love for every single show that you do. Mm. Um, very long-winded answer, but... No, yeah, that's great. I, yeah, and I definitely can't pinpoint any one thing. I just... I just live for it. Yeah. I really do. Like, it's it's what I'm meant to do. And mm. when I can't do it, I know this, I'm not really much of a person to be around. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. It recharges my batteries and it, it sort of gives me the purpose to live. Yeah. Mm. So... Since it's giving you a purpose to live, how are you adjusting? And I personally know, but um, or at least I know part of it. But how are you adjusting to the times right now? How are you, you know, going about being a performer without places to perform, without a venue to perform in? How are you adjusting to this current situation? Yeah, say that again. Patreon, I think, Patreon, I think yes, a Patreon. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'll get closer to Patreon. Is, is that um, Patreon? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that would be patreon.com slash Music. Yes, yes, um, yes. But look, I kind of started it in, in sort of being like, okay, so I've got to make some sort of money. You know, we've got a lot of people online right now doing free concerts. Mm-hmm. Stop it. Stop doing free concerts because <laughs> we need to make money. We are still professional working artists you know there is no free lunch for actors you've got to make that money somewhere so you know we really need to start monetizing our online experience and so so I started my Patreon hoping that you know I would start to see a bit of a community it would give me a task to do it would um it would it keep me current in this time and then you know watching people join the Patreon and like just as the community grows I've just really started to thrive to make that the best experience that I possibly can. So, you know, I'm, I'm taking classes, I'm doing uh, tutorials, I'm learning new uh, audio equipment, I'm learning new uh, programs to just really make that experience better and, and to upskill. You know, so, yeah, learning Ableton now, which is not something that I ever thought I'd jump into. I'm... Mm not a recording technician. Um, I'm a recording artist. Thanks. Um, so that's been really interesting, buying some equipment, um, having some equipment donated. I've got one of the patrons is my mentor from Splendor in the Grass. Um, he's a beautiful man, Sean Latham, from North Coast Events in Byron Bay. So he's um, donated uh, the funds to buy a lighting setup. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and so he's, just, he's also just um, donated for a backdrop um, so, you know, there is people 
interested in investing to make their own experience better, yeah. to make the experience better for everyone. And, and, you know, we are such a strong community. So finding people in the, in the, our community that have the skills to make it better is, um, has been really great. I think it's brought me together with a, a lot of folks in my community that I haven't spoken to in a while or, you know, it's, yeah, it's really great. And then I, I just love the Patreon experience. It's, yeah, it's, it's been like really fulfilling for me. Mm. Um, just, you know, seeing people pop up, people that I know, people that I don't know. Yeah. Um, and people from all over the world. It's really, it's a really beautiful thing to see. Once you start to get your fan base and pull them into one little place where it's you know it's interactive you get to talk to each other you get to um just have that much more intimate connection with your fans and i like i love it yeah Yeah. it is interesting how that works where where you kind of have to isolate yourself from people and yet your fan base can be so much more exponential and and vast because they can all meet at one place as opposed to trying to go to a venue which is probably maybe not in their country, you know, maybe they're in America and they couldn't be in Australia or vice versa. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the last live stream concert that I did, I ended up like as more and more people registered for the event, it was like, okay, so, you know, in Australia, it's going to be 3 p.m. on Saturday in, in California. Uh, yeah. It's going to be 10 p.m. on Friday. In Chicago, it's going to be 12. In Germany, it's going to be 7 a.m. In New Zealand, it's, Gonna, you know, so we just had to yeah. keep like adding things to the list and adding and adding, and we ended up like announcing like six or seven different time time zones, and it was <laughs> like, it just became ri- ridiculous. I'm, I'm sort of like I'm procrastinating making the the event page for the next live stream, sixth <clears throat> of June, um, because um, I don't know how many time zones I should do it in, and I don't know yeah. like what time zone I should set the um, the the event in or like it's i'm just really procrastinating i'm going to have to do it this afternoon but it's yeah. <laughs> it really is going to be the biggest decision of my day well that's a great problem to have i mean your patreon has been has been great to watch because it's it become so successful and, I, and i'm sure you have much further uh further to go in terms of like the success that it possibly can have um i think this is just the beginning how long have you had it on maybe two months less than that Getting pretty close to two months. Yeah, and so where you're at right now is really amazing to see, and I'm I'm really excited to see where you can go from here. And so, I mean, those are really great problems to have. If you have to do six time zones, if you have to do more than that, yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah, it's it's a first world problem for sure. Yeah. <laughs> do you miss the crowd at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my god, like he finished a song and nobody claps and like. <laughs> You know, and and then the comments come through like a minute after you finish the song, you know, and everyone's like typing woo and you're like, yeah. okay, great. You know, I've already started yeah. talking about <laughs> something else and I'm playing a new song and now I can see your late comments because yeah. there is latency. Like, I hate it. I yeah. just, I really miss playing to people. How, how have you been adjusting to that? Like the lack of applause, the lack of like a laugh if you try to crack a joke. Because um, I was I was on your uh, last live stream concert and like we were laughing, but like we knew that you couldn't hear, and so like you were cracking jokes in between sets. And, and, and <laughs> I, like, I dropped some terrible jokes. Like my onstage 
Fanta. It can either be like primo or it can die (laughs) so badly. And so, you know, usually I get that feedback from my crowd and now it's just my spouse standing behind a computer a few metres away from me shaking their head. (laughs) And so I'm like, shit, you want... You were not the target audience for that joke. Oh, damn it. You know, so I have to absolutely no idea whether I'm saying something funny or just making a fool of myself. It's, yeah. I've been laughing, so <laughs> they're working for the most part. Thanks, Ed. Yeah. And it's great, too, because, like, it, it brings it brings color into what otherwise might be, like, an awkward situation where we're kind of watching. And, I mean, it's not awkward because it's, I mean, it's great fucking music, but, like, then we also know that, like, there's a personality there and, like, you know, we feel more at ease. And so, like, it, it still is kind of that experience. But, like, yeah, it's 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 funny because you can't hear us laughing, which would then encourage you to keep making jokes. And it's 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 so funny how, how intricate or important uh, an audience is, not just for, like, performing as a musician, but also, like, as a as a as a theater performer because there really is that give and take there there's that pace where you feel like you have them with you and i can only imagine what it's like as a, as a as a musician where you don't feel like you have them with you and so a lot of these zoom calls that i've been doing with like play readings like they they kind of like are going over my head cuz i really don't give a fuck you know what i mean it's it's like part of the reason you know theater is such a communal thing and so it's like performing as a musician unless you're like you're recording in a studio or whatever or unless you're on camera but it, it really is uh, uh, this this synergy that goes back and forth between the audience and the performer all fucking night long, and, and to not have that has been it, it's it's made it more apparent how important they are. It's a really really big thing, and you know they're saying that uh, for musicians we're looking at eighteen to twenty four months. Mm. You know, like the music industry, we don't we don't know where it's going to go from now. And it's like you can play a song easily, yeah. but it's not until you play it to the audience that you're actually performing it. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, really big. What is that transition like for you? So, like, when you, when you, when you are conceiving a song, when, when that concept, you know, comes onto the paper and, like, you kind of finalize it, like, within your own studio or your own area, and then you bring it to an audience. Like, does that, does that change, like, maybe, like, the tone of the song? Does that change any lyrics because you're seeing how it's being received? I write them very much for myself. And, um, and then when I perform them, they become somebody else's. Mm. You know, you, you perform a song and, and I, I decided a really long time ago, there was this really big turning point for me where I was like, once I sort of perform it, it's not mine anymore. Mm. It's not my song and I can't have any expectation on how somebody's going to receive that. I can't have any preconceptions about what the song is going to mean to them, mm-hmm. you know, because that's the beauty of music is that mm. we just, like, we all have our own takeaway from something and we all relate to something differently, you know, whether we relate or, or, or we don't. Like, we all have our own opinion. We all have our own story. Mm. 
that we place onto a song or a piece of music. And, and I think that that's just such an important thing for me to really hold on to. I can't be precious. I can't, mm. um, I can't say to people, you should feel this way when you hear this song. Um, and I, I mean, like, especially because the majority of my music is breakup music. <laughs> <Sort> of, <laughs> you know, I can't dictate how somebody is going to take their breakup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's really interesting. One of the best notes I've ever had, not just as an actor, but as an artist, um, I was, uh, we were in some sort of talk back in college and um, one of the actors got really upset because um, the teacher asked the student who saw the show, she was like, what did you think he was like going after? Like, we've been talking about objective. What do you think their objective was? What do you, what do you think they wanted? And she said something. And then the actor got really upset. He was like, that's not what I wanted at all. And then the, the, the teacher stopped him, corrected him. And she said, no, 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 no. You were so clear in what you wanted. They, they were able to like get something from it. So it might not have been exactly what you were going for, but like you were so clear in what you were doing. She was interpreting it in her way. And that's how you know like what you're doing on stage is strong because you can't just dictate how you want people to think about your character. They're going to make their own choices, but you have to be so clear in your choices that they can make a choice, that they can make an interpretation. Yeah. And then, like, you know, whether we change things and, you know, I think... Um, and then that's that's just how it stays. Usually, I, I write a song in about ten minutes. If it's not done in ten, ten minutes, half an hour, then it's just not going to happen. Like it mm. could, you know, it could be months between songs, and all of a sudden, I sort of like get that feeling. You know, I kind of like get a little bit twitchy and agitated, and mm. then I just like throw out a song. Um, and so, songwriting for me has always been a really quick, quick and easy process. Wow. I start playing, and I, I'll just spew it out. And I'm like, oh, there's a song. Um, and <laughs> so, yeah, I think for me, like I'm kind of not, like of course everything's in, everything goes through a workshop stage. Mm. Um, usually that's the situation where I'll play it to my mom and my spouse and the dog and, you know, like I'll just play it to everyone and see if they like it and just kind of get a general vibe. Um, mm. I do it a lot less these days. Like if I, if I write something that's really different to what I'm what I usually write, um, then I will have a little moment of being like, <laughs> um, but I do it a lot less than I used to. Like I used to like pretty much take the song through a screening process of being like, okay, so tell me the pros and cons of this song. Like, do you like it? Is the melody any good? How is the you know, technical compositions? Like, you know, all of that sort of shit, you know, you sort of like, there's only, sometimes you just got to walk away and be like, that's enough. That's good. That's yeah. a good song. Yeah. Feels good. Yeah. Mm. Anything else you wanna you wanna leave us with? I, I think we we've hit about an hour, so I think I don't know, leaving us on a your songwriting process is a really interesting spot to to finish this song. And speaking of song, you have a song for us. I do have a song. Yeah. Yeah. I do have a song which will hopefully be a film clip really shortly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but before we do that, Patreon, SE Thomas, Patreon. Patreon, yep. Patreon. Patreon, Patreon. Um, yeah. Patreon is an incredible service for artists in this time. If you do know of an artist or performer 
or a creator on Patreon and you have a spare two bucks a month or five bucks a month or hell, give them a hundred dollars a month, whatever you can afford, whatever you've got to spare, whatever you think their time is worth, go ahead and do it because it really is like giving artists, creators, performers an outlet in this time to make some revenue in a current climate that like we otherwise will not make any income from our art, mm. from our passion, from our performance, from our profession yeah. for such a long time. So go ahead, patreon.com slash music. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> yeah. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So... Uh, I am going to play you a little tune. Uh, speaking of, you know, songs that we spit out in five minutes. Um, so I <laughs> you, actually you wrote this song. Write, you wrote what this in that? five minutes? Yeah, look, it took about ten, yeah, five, ten minutes. And it was sort of like it kind of, I was exploring uh, with the slide, on the slide guitar um, yeah. and was looking at my Facebook page and I was getting really angry with what I was looking at. And, you know, this song just kind of fell out, but... So the funny thing about this song is that, like, it's a very old song and it's kind of like a red wine. Mm. It is ageing beautifully. So I wrote this song in Australia. The political climate at the time was that we had a female prime minister. Mm. Um, We had the coalition, the leader of the coalition, the leader of the opposing party was trying to close Australia's borders to um, refugees coming in by a boat. Um, we had um, protests for um, a coal seam gas mining in Australia. Um, yeah, you know, there was a lot going on at the time. And then so the song's called Big Men, um, female prime minister at the time. But then we got this dickhead of a prime minister after her and um, the song became even more relevant. Mm. And... Um, now Trump has just taken the cake. Like he has really pushed this song into the for- forefront of relevance, like with my songwriting. So um, yeah, I feel like it's just it's just getting better. I yeah. can't wait to see what he does next. Are you going to credit him on the song? <laughs> oh shit! I should. I should put him in. The, yeah, I should put him in the credits for the video clip. We just started talking video clip this morning, so like oh, nice. that's going to be a really great thing to look forward to with this yeah. tune. Watch this space. Um, really looking forward to um, seeing what we can create for that next. But um, for sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I suppose I better play it. Yeah, please. Uh, so you can find the song online, um, Spotify, Apple Music, um, iTunes. Uh, better yet, buy it from sethomas.com. Um, yes. Yep, is the best place to catch it. Um, very good. Awesome. How's that level there? That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So SE Thomas music, um, Check me out. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for being on. Yeah, anytime.
Another poor soul has lost his rights again. I see another man roam the world in search for freedom. I can see another big smile on the big man's face as he tells another big lie in truth's place. See another girl feel powerless and empty. You know she's never gonna heal. Why you telling her how she should be? Now see another man work his whole long life for a little bit of safety. Now he's gotta tell his kids and wife the big man's coming down to take it all away. Take it away. Build another wall. See the others outside. Watch the other men fall. So you can build it up real high. Build another tower to hide inside. Throw around your power, now do we call this pride? Now see another poor soul, his, has lost his rights again. I see another whole family around this world in search for some freedom. Now see another big smile on a big man's face today. As he tells another big lie, another big lie, another big lie in truth's place. And another big lie in truth's place. In truth's place. I think I think one thing we can take away from that is that is that you wrote that fucking incredible song in ten minutes. If that's the takeaway, then I have no right to dictate what you take away from that song, Ed. <laughs> that's fucking incredible. Oh man, uh, thank you so much. That's it's it's such a pleasure hearing you play uh, again and getting like a little mini concert. And for the viewers uh, to to get a to get a little mini concert, this is just a taste. Sign up at Patreon slash Essie Thomas and make sure that you are um, just a, a Patreon member and you get the, are we still doing one concert a month? Yeah, so I do a monthly concert. I do yep. um, a whole bunch of uh, like updates through the month. Um, I send out little gifts and presents and all sorts of things. And um, I've been posting a lot of, a lot of videos. So I take yeah. two requests a month. So you, yeah, it's, 
you know, I've been pretty current on it. I've got nothing else to do. So same. Yeah. Yeah. But our next live stream concert, there will be a buy-in option. So yeah, like make sure, you know, first and foremost, go ahead and give me a like on Facebook. Yes. Jesse Thomas music, Instagram, Twitter, you know, follow your favorite artists and actors and performers. Like, yeah. Follow people, join their Patreon, all the things. Yeah. I think, I think right now more than any other time, um, I know, for my entire existence as an artist myself, like I've, I've had friends where like you have these, uh, you have the ability to follow them or support their music. But I think right now more than ever is such an important time to make sure that you start that practice if you have not already. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Essie. Um, yeah. I fucking appreciate it. Well, I'm talking to you the way I want to talk to you. You have a problem. Turn off your station.